Well, good evening, everyone. We are certainly very, very thankful to be here at this ASI convention, and I know that God is going to bless in a very, very special way. Tonight, we're going to hear thrilling stories, thrilling stories of how God is working through the various ministries that are taking place. And so we know that God is going to be present, and we can all end up saying, praise the Lord. Hello, ASI. Hang on to your hats. We're going to have a real drink out of a fire hydrant here. We've got to move along pretty quickly here. And I have with me Barbara Taylor, who has been with ASI for many, many years and from the Denver area. And she's going to tell us about New Beginnings DVD series. The New Beginnings DVD series has been one of the most exciting, successful, wonderful, soul-winning programs that ASI has ever established, in my opinion. And I can tell you right now that when you ever become involved with ASI New Beginnings DVD training, you will become on fire for the Lord. And is this cost effective? Tell me. Uh... It's very, very cost effective. The other day when we were in our board meeting, we found that they're actually per soul. It's $1 per soul when we use the New Beginnings DVD training program. Now, do people stay in the church, or what's the average people who uh, leave or stay in the church? You could send out 100 evangelists, and they could have 100 baptisms. And the statistics show that after one year, 95% of those people have left the church because they're not connected. They do not have anyone to give them nurturing, to give them encouragement, to get them involved in other programs. And the reason that the New Beginnings DVD program is so successful is once we form teams and once they start these small group home Bible studies with lay people just like yourselves, they become baptized. And once they're baptized, they get on fire for the Lord, and they get those people involved in training them to become involved in the so, next. So new what kind of retention do we have here? Is it better than the large evangelism program? It has shown that after five years, 88% of those people are still in the church, and they're out winning no new souls to God's kingdom. So you've been involved in this for a while, and did you just do this out of your home in Denver, or have you done this elsewhere? No, this New Beginnings DVD program was started in the year 2000, and this was a program that was developed by ASI, and it is written, Mark Finley at the time was in coordination with this, and now we tie in very closely with the General Conference, so this is a marvelous, marvelous program. And where have you been lately? I just returned this last year from Brazil. I went down to South America and we did DVD evangelism training in South America. Our very first place that we went to was down in um, Gravita. We trained 400 Bible workers And I in think Gravita. we have a slide that shows a little something about this. Yes. When we trained the 400, these were 400 Bible workers from one conference. Wouldn't we love to have 400 Bible workers in our one conference in our United States? And there's a gal named Sarah on the second slide. Yes, and Sarah, this lady doing home Bible studies, these are all lay people, the home Bible studies, she has baptized last year 135 baptisms. Can I hear an amen? And, and, and total over the past 
10 years, over the past 10 years, she's baptized over 1,000 people. Now, now, wait a minute. If she baptized 135 last year and 1,000 over 10 years, so she had some down years, it sounds like. Maybe only about <laughs> 90 per year. I would love to have that kind of a down year, wouldn't you? And so, and so uh, after that, you went to Bolivia and trained some more. Yes, Pastor uh, Donato and myself, we went to Bolivia and we trained over 500 lay people who some of them traveled 24 hours to get to the meetings. They trained all throughout the day and the next, that night they got back and they traveled another 24 hours to get home. And this is amazing because we had testimonies that were just outstanding. In the next slide, you're going to see a little lady here holding the DVD uh, disc or a DVD player. And this little lady, she's from Santa Cruz, Bolivia, and she has started 31 home Bible study groups in her one church in central Bolivia, in central Santa Cruz. And she has, every single week, they have multiple baptisms, not just one a week, but multiple baptisms. And the next slide is showing a general. Now, this general gave his testimony. He was a top general in the country of Bolivia. And when he, his wife and three daughters became Seventh-day Adventists through the small group home Bible studies, and when he would get up every Sabbath, his daughters and his wife would say, oh, please, please, Papa, come to church with us. And he'd say, no. And he'd march off and he'd go on to his work. After three years of earnest prayer, one Sabbath he woke up and he said, okay, I'll go to church with you. And he became a Seventh-day Adventist. He retired from the military. And last year, he had 32 baptisms. Can I hear another amen? And then, this year, he is going to give three small group home Bible studies in his home. And he is working with top government officials from Bolivia. So this is how God is working in wonderful, wonderful, mighty and, ways. And we have another slide here of a lot of people who have gotten involved in the young people. Yes, the young people are on fire for the Lord. They are the strong things in the church in South America. When you go to South America, you see so many young people in our churches, and they are on fire for the Lord, and they are out developing home Bible study groups as well. Now, Barbie, you've been a member of ASI for many years, and you're president of the Mid-America ASI chapter, and you've been a businesswoman in marketing and sales for many years. But uh, how does this uh, New Beginnings DVD rank among all that you do? It is the most rewarding, most exciting, most encouraging program that I would encourage every single one of you. Please go to our ASI booth. You can get a copy of this DVD, New Beginnings program. It has 25 Bible studies on it. It has in 30 different languages. And we are developing this for all over the world, and we are very, very successful all over the world. And so God let's is see leading. A, a show of hands if you're not capable of doing something like this. Okay, that's unanimous. So Amen. everybody will be coming to the booth. God bless. Okay, thank, thank you thank so you. much. So the, my next guest is uh, Paul Opp and Leo Vina Perez of the People of Peru Project in Peru. Now, uh, Paul, we want to find out a little bit about the People of Peru Project. Just give us a quick snapshot. Uh, People of Peru Project has a uh, unique situation in that we are located in the largest city on earth 
that has no roads that lead to it. So you have to get there by boat or by plane. It's a city of, of three-quarters of a million people in the middle of the Amazon jungle at the headwaters of the Amazon River. And what we do there is we have a crisis center for abandoned and abused girls, a uh, free medical and dental clinic, and educational programs that take young people all the way through the university level. And we have a short video that uh, shows a little bit about the area, because I don't know how many people have been to the headwaters of the Amazon and uh, really been able to see where you're from and doing your work. So hopefully we can have that come up and the people can see just exactly where you're doing your ministry. Wow, that's uh, moving. Uh, and we have with us Leovina Perez. And uh, tell us, uh, Leovina, how is this scene that we see here significant to you? Good evening, everybody. Well, um, you guys saw this video, so I live in this place. I live in a poorest area in Iquitos. And I'm, I I'm really know how to feel when you live in this kind of condition and how you need to work, how you need to support your family when you are like in this kind of life. So thanks to People of Peru Project, thanks to Mr. Paul that I found 15 years ago. And this is a big change for me, for me, my family, and many people that love me. And so you uh, were taken in by People of Peru Project, and you were sent to school and funded into what kind of uh, university? What did you learn or degree at the university? Uh, right now, I'm, um, I finished 2012. I'm a child psychology and I've been helping in the organization, in the crisis center that we have. You just saw a little bit of that video. So yes, Leovina was the person in the blue dress and the blue shirt at the end there. And uh, so she's helped with the crisis center where they have 15 children now who are abused or abandoned and they need a lot of uh, mental and physical uh, healing. And there's one, can you think of one person who, uh, was in a very difficult situation that the People of Peru Project helped. There is one girl, her name is Roxani. She came when she was 13 years old. She, was, um, she came from the jungle and she came to work in Iquitos in the city and she got abused by the people that she was living with. So the court sent to us and right now she is 22 years old almost finishing her um, uh, nursing. Uh, she's going to be a nurse in this year, I think. So we keep going, we, um, we're doing a lot of good things. Yeah, so she came to you uh, abused and abandoned at age 13, and now she's 22, finishing her nurse's degree. And Paul, uh, if I understand correctly, sponsoring a young person like this is about $200 a month? Depending on the uh, degree that they choose, could be anywhere from two to $300 a month to put a kid through the university and absolutely change their life. And so are you able to take everybody who comes to you? Sadly, we have requests that come in every week to our organization and there's a drawer that's getting uh, more and more um, requests for help and we can only put a kid in the university 
when we have a sponsor. So you're looking for sponsors and you have roughly how many applicants in that drawer? There are about 100 100 students right waiting to be sponsored and they're being pulled out of the depths of poverty in the garbage dump and abandoned and abused and they're ready to go to school. They're ready to be sent to the university and some of these students are very bright. And, uh, but there's sometimes, you even have one that's gone to medical school. We've, we've graduated uh, several professionals, a couple of dentists, a lawyer, a teacher, a child psychologist. Uh, mechanical engineer, we've got some, some young people that have done very, very and well. And this is more costly, I would expect. It is more costly. And uh, so you have other people, even from Adventist homes, who need assistance. Absolutely. To... And I'd, I'd just like to say, you know, Leovina was the very first young person that my wife and I met in Peru. And she started, we met her when she was 13 years old. And I just want to tell you that Leovina is now the executive director of People of Peru Project in Peru. And you haven't done this all your life, Paul. You were here in the Northwest doing what? I owned a logging company. Logging company yeah. and working in the automobile industry a yeah. little bit. Yes, that's But true. now you've been with People of Peru Project for how long? Uh, I went to Peru the first time 15 years ago. 15 years ago. So here's a gentleman who's been in ministry and mission work uh, for 15 years. And I know there are people here who would love to sponsor some of the students. by, And you can do that by visiting Paul and Leovina at their booth here at ASI, or our viewers can uh, uh, go on peopleofperu.org, and uh, we'll uh, continue to pray for this project and know the Lord will continue to bless. Thank you so much, and keep us in your prayers. My next guest is Greg Emmerlander. Now, Greg uh, has a little bit different background than some of us, and he's going to share a little bit about uh, his background and uh, Greg, welcome. You're from? Well, originally I'm from around Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, upbringing as a young adult or adolescent there. I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, I, I had a really, I had a really average Seventh-day Adventist upbringing. I was a Pathfinder, member of the Ionia Seventh-day Adventist Church. So it, I had an awesome childhood. And so then uh, things changed a little bit uh, with your family, and you went to a public school, and what happened? Well, my parents divorced, and ultimately I was led into a public school system where I made the wrong friends, started making the wrong choices or wrong decisions, um, which ultimately led me into a juvenile life of crime. And what did that include? Uh, well, it started with smoking cigarettes, sneaking out of the house, um, ultimately, it led to smoking marijuana, and ultimately, beyond that, to selling marijuana. And so you actually became a dealer, and this became your profession. Give us some idea as to how much business you were doing in drug pushing. By the age of 18, I had made the acquaintance of an individual who was in the Mexican Mafia. He was not your average supplier, and by the age of about 19 and a half, I was selling on average about 40 pounds a week. And so in, in dollars, that's, you, you were selling about $8,000 worth of drugs a day? Yes. And that profited you? About $2,000 a day would be the average. And some days I'd have some sales that were about $32,000. I'd make eight grand a, a sale. $8,000 a day that you were making. And this uh, lasted for a number of years, but then in 2002, what happened? Mm. Ultimately, I was arrested. The DEA, along with Central Michigan Enforcement Team and Ionia County Sheriff's Office and the State Police, arrested me. 
And uh, you were not only uh, dealing, you started, uh, you were addicted and even deal, doing some other crime, robbery. Mm. And yes, absolutely. It never stopped with the marijuana. The marijuana graduated into ecstasy and from ecstasy cocaine and cocaine came with shrooms and pharmaceuticals. And by the time that I was arrested, I was an extremely bad addict. And so when you were arrested, you ended work first in jail and then prison. There's mm -hmm. a difference. And uh, what happened to you in there when you saw what you saw in the prison? Well, I'll back up a little bit. I, for years, I'd been using drugs. And in using drugs, I'd done a lot of bad things, including robbing my own parents. And by 2005, my addiction was so bad that I was shooting up fentanyl patches mixed with crack cocaine. And my doctor's office cut me off of my pain patches, which then led me to breaking into homes, um, which that led to a seven-year prison term. And so what happened in prison? It was when I got to prison, I started looking around me that I, I realized who I'd become. I could look around and I could see these individuals that had been in prison for 10, 20 years. Some were doing life on the installment plan, coming back and forth every couple of years. And, and I could see that if something didn't change and change drastically, that was going to be me. And so uh, did people visit you and bring you Bibles and material to support you? What happened? No. <laughs> no, they did not. And. Uh, for the first few months, it was just myself. My parents used tough love. They knew that if they didn't create an absence of, of, of attention, I was just going to continue down the path that I had been. So by the time that I got to prison, I had not had the family relationship that I was used to. I had nobody to, to rely on, and, and I was left with the fact that if something didn't change, my life was going to be totaled. Yes. It's going to be drastic. So. So uh, when you experienced this, you saw that uh, God was able to reach you and that you did have value, that he was still, even though your family had lost connection with you and even pastors who you wrote to didn't respond, but you still felt connected with God. Well, that's true. As I, as I looked around, I realized that my only option was God. I'd been raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I knew that Jesus Christ was my only option. And so the day came after 16 days of silence in my cell that I finally gave up. I, I, I didn't really know how to pray anymore. It had been so long since I talked to God, but that night I got on my knees and I, and I started asking God for forgiveness for everything that I'd ever done. And I was very specific. And so as I'm, I'm confessing my sins, tears start flowing down my face and, and I cried and I poured my heart out to God and after a couple of hours of praying and crying my heart out to God, I got up and I, I laid on my bunk. And as I laid on my bunk, and I've told this story before, I swear I felt the weight of my sin rise off of my body. And it was then that I knew that I'd been forgiven. And it was that, that sense of, of hope, of knowing that God loved me, that I was cared for, that, that I knew that no matter what happened beyond that point, God was going to take care of me, that he, that he loved me. And so your past doesn't dictate... You have a saying, your past doesn't dictate your future. your future. And so you felt free at that time, and that without Christ, there is certain destruction. Oh, absolutely. So once I was forgiven, I didn't know what, what was in store, but I knew that my life was going to be different. 
So as the devil tempted and as these, these choices came, I decided to turn my life over to God, and it happened one decision at a time. And over the next couple of years, as I grew into God, my father had sent me a Bible and a conflict of ages set, and I began studying. And next thing you know, I'm sharing in prison. And next thing after that is I'm, I'm having Bible studies in prison from prison to prison. I was transferred 13 times over seven years. But I watched as God took my heart and changed it from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And I began looking at my fellow prisoners, not as, as convicts, but as people that needed the same freedom that I had. So when you got out of prison, you started a ministry. What's that called? The ministry is called Conviction Ministries. We have to move right along. And so the, it's basically based on freedom from sin. It's not just prison going and ministering to prisoners. It's freeing them from sin. Correct. My ministry is dedicated to offering individuals the same hope that God gave me. And so when you got out of prison, you connected with your community, and who were some of the people you went and connected well, with? Most recently, the chief of police in the town, the very officer who used to pursue me and, and did his best to arrest me, is now the one handing out my book. He's actually sharing my testimony and helping others in my community understand that with Jesus Christ, freedom from sin is a reality. And what's the name of your book? It's called Where Darkness Reigned. And you, you feel that you can restore uh, and you were able to heal things and correct things that you had broken. Absolutely. And so tell us a little bit about how people can become involved and to avoid that 90% return to prison mm -hmm. and uh, you can help them avoid that. One of the biggest problems that I faced upon getting out of prison was finding individuals that understood that just because you're in prison or you're a drug addict or, or you're addicted to something doesn't mean that you don't have value. With Christ Jesus, we are reborn. We, be, we become new creations. We are a new creature. And, I, and, and my Conviction Ministries is dedicated to making that a reality in other people's lives. And so if individuals want to become part of that experience, give me a phone call. If you have a son or daughter that's addicted or, or you know somebody that's struggling, give me a phone call. I'd be more than happy to help. So oftentimes in church, we sit there and act like everything's okay, but there may be someone here, there may be someone in your church who uh, is suffering or has somebody who's at risk, uh, addicted to drugs, other things, committing crime. They may be in prison, but the church pretends that there's really not a problem. Mm -hmm. So if you know of somebody like that or someone in your family, contact Greg at the, his ministry, uh, Conviction Ministries, and he will help reach out to these people and give them the hope that they need. Amen. Thank you. Greetings, ASI. My name is Floyd Courtney, and I have the privilege of interviewing two very interesting ministries. The first one is uh, Dale Mole. He's a physician, and Dale, you had told me a little bit about your beginning of your career, and it was an interesting way, it seemed like to me, that the Lord was preparing you for this part of your career. Tell me a little about it. Yes, well, I was uh, a physician in the United States Navy for over 33 years, and uh, uh, served part of that time aboard submarines and have been stationed around the world in many countries, uh, including uh, spending time in Iraq and Afghanistan, so, uh, uh, and, and the South Pole. Uh, and so I had a pretty good idea of what it was like to try and provide good medical care in bad places. 
And uh, when the opportunity came up to go to Nepal, I thought this might be an opportunity to uh, apply the skills that I'd acquired over the course of a lifetime uh, to the Lord's work. Right. So what was the transition? How did you segue over from being a physician in the Navy to getting to uh, Nepal, you said, was, is where you have uh, done your ministry lately? Right. Uh, well, uh, when I retired from the Navy, I served uh, in the South Pole for a year at Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. I was, uh, for that year, I was the southernmost Adventist in the world. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, uh, when, I, when I came back, uh, I was in church one day, and Lowell Cooper, uh, who many in the audience know, I'm sure, came up to me in church and said, Dale, I know you retired from the Navy. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, I said, well, you know, I don't have to rent, rent my time anymore. I've reached that stage in my life, and uh, I'm looking around for something interesting to do. And uh, several months later, my wife Susan and I find ourselves in Nepal. Okay. Tell us about that, something interesting that you found to do for the Lord now. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, when we first stepped off the plane, we actually, I, I don't know what my wife's reaction was, but I almost felt like getting back on the plane and heading home. But I got to tell you, the first week I was there, I probably saw more miracles uh, performed than in the previous decade in the United States. Uh, the, uh, uh, just uh, one, one quick story, if I could. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a little 10-year-old uh, uh, boy who had untreated typhoid fever, and he came into our, our emergency department on the verge of death. He was in what we call septic shock. And uh, we took him to the operating room and uh, uh, performed surgery. He had a hole in his bowel that we, we closed, and then he went to our intensive care unit, which is where I first saw him. Uh, he, uh, uh, he was on the verge of death. He was uh, uh, just his, his uh, septic shock state has an 80% mortality rate. He then developed a condition that we call adult, or uh, not adult, but acute respiratory distress syndrome, which wow. also has a very high mortality rate. So this 10-year-old uh, this Nepali boy, I thought, uh, was not going to survive the night. And uh, we prayed. The family was there crying. Uh, you know, we told them it was in the Lord's hands. Uh, I came in the next uh, morning, and not only was he still alive, but he was doing better. That afternoon, he was off the ventilator. Uh, two days later, he was sitting up smiling in our pediatric ward. Wow, uh, praise the Lord. That yes. is why uh, I went to Nepal, and that's why I'm staying in Nepal. Tell us a little bit about, on the news we've heard about earthquakes in, in Nepal. How has that impacted the hospital and your work there? Well, initially, um, uh, we had uh, nine patients that arrived uh, that were dead on arrival. But uh, we treated over 1,000 earthquake victims, and all the patients that arrived there uh, remained alive. Wonderful. And uh, if I had more time, I could tell you uh, a number of stories about uh, true miracles uh, that occurred during that time period. But the earthquake itself uh, was a real tragedy for the country of Nepal. It set it back probably about a decade. But it has also provided a real opportunity for the Lord's work. Uh, many medical facilities were destroyed, so I think it is an opportunity to extend, expand uh, Adventist healthcare in Nepal. Many schools were destroyed. Uh, I, I think it's an opportunity to expand Adventist education in Nepal. Uh -huh. And uh, we have had some great partners here uh, in, the, in the World Church, uh, uh, especially Asian Aid USA. Mm -hmm. uh, Three Angels Broadcasting has really helped 
us uh, raise money that is badly needed for the hospital, not only just from an earthquake standpoint, but also uh, just in the replacing aging equipment and yeah. facilities. Okay, for the, in the last little bit of time we have, tell us what is witnessing like? I understand that there are laws that make it more difficult there than versus the United States and other places. Yeah, it is. You can be put in uh, prison for proselytization. So ours is certainly a work of ministry, not a work, uh, a, or, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a ministry of, of work, of service, mm -hmm. uh, not a ministry of word. Uh, but uh, what we try and do is have our patients see the compassion and love of Christ reflected in the care that we provide to them. And by that method, we hope to win souls in Nepal. Right. Have you seen any, what response have you seen to the work as far as spiritually? Are you seeing some changes in people's lives and, and uh, things like that? Or yes. can you tell yet? No, I, I think very much so. Uh, Susan and I have only been there uh, uh, eight months, but uh, there are a lot of really talented Nepali people, a, a lot of people who... Uh, uh, really on fire for Christ, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I am very optimistic about the work in Nepal. Well, wonderful. And especially with the, with the help of people in the audience as well. We certainly need your prayers. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us about your work in Nepal. God bless. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And next we have Tim Rasmussen. Tim is the uh, president of Waters for Life. It's an organization that provides the true physical water and the water of life. And he has his uh, crew with him here, and I'll let him introduce him. Some time ago, I was wondering how can I tell you about Water for Life in seven minutes. Through the modern digital age, I've discovered a way. This is not a telephone, it's a reality recorder. And I'm gonna push playback and take you back to a conversation that occurred some time ago between Gary Bartholomew and his son, Rod. Well, now that we got this drill rig set up here, um, and I'm a new volunteer, I'd like to ask you some questions. What, how did Water for Life get started anyway? Rod, it's a beauty from Ashes story. The Ashes was $20,000 spent for a contractor on a failed attempt in Guatemala. The beauty was when the Lord called and said, you grew up a well driller, let's go for it. There seems to be a lot of people around here helping. Uh, do you pay them a lot of money to come down and help? Everyone involved in Water for Life is a volunteer. We have about 40 each year that go down to uh, help in the well drilling and, and the other efforts we do and many from different faiths. How many wells have you drilled so far in Guatemala? We've drilled 79. Wow. That, uh, how many people are drinking from those wells? We figure maybe 25,000 now. Most villages we drill in are remote and there might be 200 to 600 people in each village. Wow, that sounds like a lot. Does that really help the people, though? Just, just a well, just clean water? Well, in the words of the health ministry there, they say mortality drops where water for life drills a well. In the, in the words of the villagers, they say, thank you for that well last year. We've lost none of our babies since you drilled last year. 
Is there still a need for more wells? I mean, 79 wells we've already drilled. Is there a need for any more? In the radius that we work, there's need for hundreds and hundreds more wells. And I've also seen dentists and, and nurses working out in the different villages. Um, tell me about those. Yes, we provide medical and dental care as we can in the villages where we drill. We also ship a lot of medical equipment in the yearly container that we ship down with the drilling supplies and equipment. And on my way here, I, I noticed we drove right past a, an Adventist church. Are, are we involved with that at all? We've drilled wells bought property, built a church, and seen it fill up. What a thrill. We've partnered with Upper Columbia Conference, this very conference right here in their youth department in building churches. We partner with other uh, ministries also, such as Amazing Facts. Do you probably, think... oh, probably 12 or 14 churches now, I believe. Wow. Do you think that, uh, that the wells really help with the evangelism? Rod, when we provide a well, spend that few days drilling in a village, we gain a relationship we never lose. We never lose that relationship. How do we develop uh, people for these churches? How did we develop members to fill these churches? We hire Bible workers. We do VBS. We have people come down from the United States and do evangelistic meetings. Uh, Light Bearers sends millions of pieces of literature in Spanish. We, we ship pallets of Bibles. We ship cases of Bible studies uh, to help build those churches. Well, what do, you, do you have to be a driller to, to come and help out Water for Life down in Guatemala? No. I think there's several people out here that probably aren't drillers. No, Rod, we need motel maids too. We, we've built a shop in several rooms, and, and so we need motel maids, uh, and we need uh, helpers for the drillers. We need painters, construction personnel. We need translators. We need more medical people, uh, dental people. That's a little bit about Water for Life. I have some friends from Guatemala here. Mr. Leonardo and his wife, Ixel. Mr. Bernie, what does Water for Life mean to the people of Guatemala? To the people of Guatemala, it means hope, love, everlasting life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Gracias. Agua para la vida. Thank you, Water for Life. That's what I can tell you about Water for Life and show you about Water for Life. What I invite you to do is come and join us. Water for Life provides life and life-giving water and the everlasting gospel to people that are thirsty and hungry for it. Thank you very much. Boy, have you been enjoying these stories? It's amazing what God's doing around the world. I'm excited to be here this evening with you with Millie and John Youngberg. Uh, tell me where you're from and a little bit about your ministry and what you guys do. Well, we live in Bering Springs, Michigan. And uh, we're both retired from Andrews University, and our ministry is Wind Wellness, Homes of Hope and Health. Very good. So tell me a couple of things that you guys are doing in your ministry. Well, we are touching the world with Amen. our ministry. We've helped 
<clears throat> we felt that God had called us to be a blessing to the nations, and that's what we're trying to do. Amen. And we, you tell us about the Jabez prayer. <clears throat> Jabez prayed that God would bless him indeed. And so that is what God did for him and extended his territory. And we have prayed the same prayer, and God has sent us to the world. Amen. So tell me a little bit about what's happening in Vietnam. Oh, this is very exciting. Uh, we trained some people in Singapore to do Win Wellness Homes of Hope and Health a few years ago. And now these uh, people have translated all of our materials into the Vietnamese language. And it's so exciting to hear that they are in small groups in Vietnam and Hanoi and are using our materials. And the lady who uh, spoke to us about the translation, she said, your material is all over Vietnam. I said, all over? All over Vietnam, and that's above wow. Ground. And it's above ground, and that's wow. Amen. It's really exciting. They were telling me that these are small group materials that have been put in to public evangelism context, and so they're using them and getting baptisms through those materials. That's right. Amen. So tell me about another project you guys are working on in the Muslim territories of the world. The Muslims of the world are a great privilege to reach, and the work isn't easy, is it? And we, we will not mention uh, specific countries because of political sensitivities and religious sensitivities, but uh, one pastor uh, last, uh, last year he reported 5,000 baptisms, and over about half of these he attributed to the Wind Wellness Program. Amen. Among these specifically, he stated that 20 Muslims were baptized. Amen. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, we just have to praise God because, well, the Bible says, he who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall be saved. And many of these people are believing and God is reaching them. In another country, the, the work is going also among these people. And the, the lady who reported to us uh, just told us how these people are interested in health. Uh, they say it agrees with their philosophy and religion of life, and they're just happy to see this work going. I just might like to ask Ed that they have a special program for the Muslims. They feed them breakfast. They do exercise with them. They do love and action things. They meet their physical needs, health needs. And as a result, there are these Muslims feel their love, love and action is a very important part of ministering to our Muslim friends. Amen. You know, it's really a burden of mine to see us working in, in those kind of fields. Uh, uh, I was reading recently a Spirit of Prophecy quote that it was saying, how can we be satisfied to have known these truths for all our lives and not share in places that have never heard? And it's really exciting to see you using your ministry to do exactly that. Tell me one more exciting thing that happened very recently in your ministry just before the GC session. Well, we, we have started small groups in our own home. And uh, if small groups are good for the world, it ought to be good to run in your own home. Don't you think so? And we knocked on doors down the street, and up to four non-Adventists were attending. One of them, his name was John Nick. And John Nick, he, first of all, he said, well, this is interesting, but I'm just going to take little mini steps 
he was a little bit afraid of the, of the truths of the Bible. I'll just take many steps. And, but then, first of all, he said, I gave up my beer. And then he took another mini step. I gave up my pork. And what was the next one, Millie? Well, the n next one was he gave up being um, mean to his wife and children. <laughs> Amen. And so uh, God was good. And on December 20 is my joy to, see, to baptize him, the waters of baptism, a man with a new life in Jesus Christ. Now there's another one in our group which is coming right along and he wants to be baptized next month. I tell you, it works. Amen. So we have just a little bit of time left. Tell me about what you're holding in your hand. This is the book, Jesus, Who Is He? The, dream, the most important book Millie and I have ever written. Uh, the story of Jesus. Here are 20 episodes in the life of Jesus. And uh, it, if it never helps anybody else, it has transformed our lives. And uh, we, uh, we'd just like to show you some of the pictures. Can you, uh, can you get that? You, you've seen Nathan Green's uh, Second Coming of Christ. Uh, we, the, every chapter except one is illustrated by Nathan Green. Amen. And so we, we thank God that we can exalt Jesus. We would do well to spend a thoughtful hour every day in contemplation of the life of Christ. And that's what we want our ministry to be. That's what, what we want you to do in your ministry. I just must add, when we were in India, uh, we were working with some uh, Hindus, and we didn't know that they were Hindus. Um, after the meetings were over, uh, a Hindu came up to, to someone and said, I would like that lady to pray for me. So I go to the man and uh, discovered that he was a Hindu. And I said, what would you like for me to pray about? For you and what did he say John he said just two words more Jesus Amen. Wow from a Hindu's lips hey. and we we praise God that we can present more Jesus now you can visit us in our booth 427 Amen. and uh, we've got lots of more stories that we'd be happy to share with you and we'd like you to see our Jesus book reaching out at very low cost to be a a, a share book among those who don't know their loving Savior. Thank you, John and Millie, for this great report. You know, they do all this from their home. Many of you may be wondering how you can get involved and do something for the Lord Jesus. Start at your home and you can get, get going right away. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Isn't that great? Next up, we are going to be visiting with Julia O'Carey and Kayla, her daughter, um, who are from Michigan and are working with ASAP Ministries. Uh, Julia, tell me a little bit about what ASAP stands for. Well, ASAP used to stand for Adventist Southeast Asia Projects, but God has expanded our territory to other closed countries outside of Southeast Asia, and so now it's Advocates for Southeast Asians and the Persecuted. Mm -hmm. And our main focus is on training and empowering over 400 national missionaries to be um, disciple makers in their countries. And so it's really exciting what the Lord is doing there. Amen. Now, Kayla, tell me a little bit about what you got to do recently with ASAP on a mission trip. Well, what impressed you most? Well, 
I really was impressed of how religious the people are over there. Mm. They went and at 4.30 a.m., they were lining the streets ready to give their offerings to the Buddhist monks. And I thought how big imp uh, impact they would be if they were serving in the Adventist church. Yeah, how many of us are lining up to give our offerings? May something change. You know, this area that we went to in Laos, um, Satan really has a stronghold. They're, they're mm. very Buddhist, and even tourists would come in and um, just go to worship Buddha there. And um, it was strange. I've, I grew up in Asia, and I go um, yearly for ASAP, but this night, the night we went to this one town in Laos, a strange sensation came over. I felt like my chest... I couldn't breathe, and I w my body was shaking, and I was like, what happened? Did I get food poisoned? Or, you know, it really scared me. And so I just prayed, and I claimed scripture, and I confessed any known and unknown sin. I didn't want any stronghold in my life. And I said, Lord, what is going on here? And this happened for hours. And then I opened the word, and it came to this story of a demon. And I said, oh, I know what. We're on Satan's territory and we're wrestling against not flesh and blood, but against, um, yeah, the, the powers of darkness. And, and so I woke my husband up, and I said, AJ, we need to really pray. God has something for us to do here tomorrow morning, and, and um, we need God's power. And so I prayed, and he prayed for me, and then I said, Lord, I don't sense your presence, but I know your word says, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world and I'm going to go to sleep in faith. And praise God, I was finally able to sleep, and we woke up in the morning, and we were able to accomplish the mission he sent us there for. And it, this helped me realize that ASAP National Missionaries go through this every day. They are battling, and they are winning thousands of souls for God, and we need many, many more of these Amen. laborers, and it's not easy out there at all. Amen. So, Kayla, tell me a little bit about what was one of your experiences while you were there? Well, when we went to the villages, I would smile at the kids and I would jump right in with them and play their games. And I learned that you don't need a language mm. in order to make friends for life. Amen. Also, in one little village, I met this little boy and he has ptosis, which is a eye disease that makes your eyelid droopy. And my heart went out to him because when I was his age, I had the same disease. So I told the parents that when he was old enough, I would get enough funds so that he would be able to have the same um, surgery. And Amen. they were so happy that it made me want to jump for joy. <laughs> You know, you have the opportunity to help with that project. They have a new ASAP project called uh, Operation New Vision. And so if you want to help her with that goal, to help that young boy, uh, you can certainly do that. Uh, Julia, tell me one more story from your experience there this last trip. I was so glad that I was able to go and worship with the believers in this new little church. It's actually, they were worshiping in a house and the next morning after that strange incident, we went and they showed us land and this house that they wanted to buy. And praise God, 
um, he worked a miracle, and that was able to be purchased for them. And then that same day, five Hmong men came from this village way up in the mountain just to see us, to thank us for how we were going to help them with a water system and toilets for their village. They had nothing, and um, also a church planter. And I was able to share a testimony with them, and I said, listen, God knew your need even before you asked ASAP. And I hadn't even shared it in any communication, but an ASI um, member sent a $10,000 check for water systems in Laos, and it was the Holy Spirit that had impressed this person, and so we had that funding to do this. Now they have five wells in this village, a storage um, tank for the water, 50 toilets, and a church planter that's spreading the gospel there. It's just such a blessing to see the way that the Lord works. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing about what's going on there in your trips there. And thank you for doing the project for the, the boy and his eyes. We just want to invite you to come by the ASAP booth. It's number 604. And we have a little mission project for your kids. And um, come by the booth and we'll explain it to you. I don't think we have too much time now. But a couple other things I want to invite you to do. ASAP Ministries now has a weekly mission video podcast. It's only about 7 to 10 minutes. And so if you um, subscribe to that, you can share it with your churches and get exciting stories of what God's doing in other parts of the world. And um, God provided for us to have a new website that was just launched today. So if you go to asapministries.org, you can check that out. And we're just so grateful to the Lord and what He is doing in that part of the world, and we'd love you to be part of that as well. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, it's really exciting to see how when God impresses you to give to a project that you don't even really know about, God can use that to answer people's prayers before they even happen. Thank you so much. Next, we're going to be visiting with a couple from New York. Um, Ivan and Heidi are going to be sharing with us about their project in New York. Tell us what's the name of your project and what do you do? Sure, it's called Heidi's Health Kitchen. And God created Heidi's Health Kitchen as a means to reach the people of New York City through the health message, Amen. medical ministry work, and which we all know is the right arm of the gospel. And so we offer free cooking classes, health lectures, and Bible studies. Amen. So it's a self-sustaining yes. mission model <laughs> for both of you as Bible workers. Yes. Excellent. Now Correct. tell me a little bit about an experience that you had in that uh, program that you're running recently? Sure. Well, we've had several experiences. We have some pictures to show as well, Good. just of some of our uh, cooking class attendees. We typically have between 35 and 70 people at a class. Excellent. And uh, so this is just one picture, but the next picture actually shows demonstrating a natural remedy. Mm -hmm. So we include all of that within the cooking and the food demonstrations. And this was a young girl who was experiencing some knee pain. Mm. And so I applied a poultice of turmeric and ginger to relieve her knee pain. Excellent. And so the next picture I've just shows a little bit of our team. We are currently working with the Crossroads Church in Times Square, New York City. Yeah. And we're directly working with the personal ministries department. And it's been a real blessing to be working with the church 
Heidi's Health Kitchen is actually part of the long-term evangelistic plans of the Crossroads Seventh-day Adventist Church. So these events are kind of like the bridge events to prepare people and to build contacts and relationships for our next evangelistic series. So you're using your, your business with the exclusive purpose of bringing souls to Jesus. Yes. So that's great. And we do get Bible study contacts at Amen. almost every cooking class, which is a real blessing. Amen. And, uh, and also, if we bring back the other, the last picture, we can see um, that there's an Asian lady in, standing at our booth. Uh, this was uh, at a vegan food event. And uh, as we sell our products, we also offer uh, free medical missionary activities as well, like uh, uh, blood pressure screening, uh, chair massage, and also some, some of the natural remedies as well. And this was at Union Square. We were invited by uh, uh, National Animal Rights Day organizer, um, who was in the New Age, but she said that you guys are kind, so I want to help Heidi's Health Kitchen. So come and set up a booth or, or a table at Union Square for free. And we were able to hand out health literature, from, uh, which was uh, run by Adventists like uh, Health and Wellness and Take Charge of Health and uh, Amazing Facts uh, uh, magazine on health. So, Amen. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about this lady that was in the picture. Sure. So Carol uh, was introduced to me at the end of the Revelation of Hope with Mark Finley and Ted Wilson. Carol had been reaching out to the Seventh-day Adventist Church trying to find someone to teach her more about the Bible. And she'd been a Buddhist for 38 years and a chain smoker for 37. And when I met her, we met at the library in Queens, and her English was very limited. However, we were able to take out a Bible that was parallel Mandarin and English, and we studied the Bible together. And it was just such a blessing to see the transformation that God makes in a person who is searching and, and wants God in their yeah. life. And so Carol um, quit smoking by God's power, amen? amen. <laughs> and her life has been completely transformed. She's on fire for the Lord. She is a supporter and volunteer of Heidi's Health Kitchen. She's on our board. And uh, it's rewarding to see someone become a disciple. Recently, before we went to the GC, I had the joy, God gave me the joy of seeing Carol involved in a Bible study, sharing her testimony Amen. with another Chinese woman, and it's just so, so amazing to be working for the Lord. I mean, that is really the goal yeah. yes. of City Missions, Amen. is not only to see people won for Christ, but to see the people you won for Christ winning people for Amen. Christ. <laughs> and so that's really exciting. Now tell me, yes. Ivan, a little bit about an experience you're having right now sure. based I on that City Mission. Absolutely. Well, this is a little interesting. There was somebody from India who wanted to uh, provide some services for Heidi's Health Kitchen. And uh, we said this, we are not at that moment yet. And, uh, but we told him that we are basing our, our ministry and business uh, from a book written by a lady named Ellen White. Mm -hmm. And uh, he asked about the name of the book. I said it's a compilation called The Restaurant Work. And we're using that as a textbook uh, for the whole venture. And then he started reading that book. And um, later on, he read some of the book which uh, told him that Ellen White was part of uh, some kind of uh, secret societies and things like that. And then he thought I was also part of secret societies, and he thought I was a Jesuit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, anyway, so later on, as he did some, some more research, um, he found out that Ellen White's writings were 
as per the Bible. She never deviated from the Bible. So, and then he said that, uh, you know, I did the research and I found out. And then so I, told, I took that as an opportunity to pitch for some Bible studies. So I asked, would you be interested to study the Bible with me? And then since then, we've been studying uh, using Mark Finlay's uh, uh, Bible Search for Certainty lessons. Mm -hmm. um, so I study with him on the phone every week. So, so did you hear that? They're doing Bible studies from their city mission in New York in India by the phone. Can somebody say amen? That's called global missions from your home. Yeah. It's really exciting. Well, thank you so much You're for welcome. sharing about that. The Lord bless you in your work there as you continue to work for the Lord there in New York. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, ASI. And what segment is this? Offering in action. I wanted to see if you've been paying attention. When you see me, you should be knowing that we're going to be talking about the projects that we want to support in the offering this weekend. So I have another ministry that we'd like to share some information about. Um, GYC, and uh, we'll find out a little bit more about what that means. Uh, this is Muis Ratsara, and he is the president-elect for the organization and Taylor Hinkle, who's the Vice President of Evangelism. Moise, tell me, how long have you been involved with this organization, and what have you seen happen during the time you've been a part? All right, well, I've been with GYC, Debbie, for the last eight years. And GYC is a movement of young people wanting to finish the work in this generation. We're passionate about Christ, we're passionate about His second coming, and we're passionate to spread the three angels' message at any cost. You know, just in the last year alone, through our convention, in a matter of three days, 90 young people made decisions in Phoenix to be baptized. In Europe, that same year, 120-plus young people in Europe made decisions for the Lord to be baptized. Hundreds more made decisions to give their lives full-time to ministry. That is GYC. So it's more than coming for training and seminars and camaraderie. It's, it really is meant to really harness their attention and get them to make a life-changing decision. Amen. Jesus. That's wonderful. Tell us some of the specific things that have occurred over the, the last few years. Now, you said you were involved for eight years. You, you barely look like you're eight years old. So, I'm, uh, so you are 25. I am 25. So you've been involved with the organization since you were about 17? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Wonderful. So now yeah. tell us what's been going on. Okay. Well, probably my friend Taylor knows more about the details since he's the vice president for evangelism. But over the years, from my perspective, what has happened is that it has made young Adventists, thousands of them, excited to be Seventh-day Adventists and proud of the message that we preach and hold as a church. Oh, amen. Amen. So let's get into some of the details specific to the project that uh, will be funded through this year's offering. So Taylor, share with us what that focus is for this year. Absolutely. GYC has a strong burden of supporting the local church and the mission of the General Conference and the North American Division. And in doing that, we have a burden for evangelism and growing the local church, growing the areas where we go to. And so what we've been doing is looking for ways, how can we use the young people that come to our conference, whether it's the 4,000 or 8,000 that are attending on the weekends, 
and get them involved in evangelism projects there. Last year in Phoenix, we decided that we needed to do more. Typically, evangelism was comprised of a four-hour event on Friday. But what we did is actually had a five-day pre-conference canvassing event. We had 180 people come, and that was during their Christmas break. And these students knocked on doors for eight hours a day in Phoenix. And by God's grace, we knocked on over 100,000 doors, and God was able to do amazing things. Now, on Friday, we knocked on another 100,000 doors. So by the end of GYC, we had knocked on almost a quarter of a million homes. And it was amazing to see what had happened. You know, God was able to bring in 300 Bible study interests, and we were working with Northeast Evangelism Training School, NETS. And they provided some training for the local churches, and local church members were moving forward and carrying out those Bible studies. I'm still reeling from the fact that young people knocked on a quarter of a million doors in a, in a few days. Amen. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Now, um, I... I here, and I sense from what you've shared, Moise, that um, this is personally um, convicting for the attendees. Can you share with us, with us an experience of how GYC has impacted the life of one of the attendees? You know, GYC has had a drastic impact in my own life. I attended GYC for the first time when I was 16 years old, and I was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, and I'd gone to many youth events and things like that. But during the time that I went to GYC, I was a nominal Seventh-day Adventist. I would, you know, even go on mission trips and things like that, but then I would go home and get involved in things I shouldn't be involved in. And I remember going to GYC for the first time, and I looked at the people, and they were really weird. I mean, they dressed a little different than I did. They had these religious words that I didn't even know, I wasn't really familiar with. And they just, it was almost over my head, and it seemed out of my reach. But I remember thinking that it was such an attractive thing because for the first time in my life, I realized that there were dedicated Seventh-day Adventist young people who loved the Lord and loved the message of His church. So I didn't make any decisions there. Appeals were made, things like that. I didn't go forward, but I came back the next year, and by God's grace, you know, Randy Skeet was preaching that evening, and he made a call for how many of you sense that the Lord is leading you to, one, break up with your girlfriend, and that, that kind of hit home to me, and number two to dedicate a year of your life to evangelism and go to evangelism training school. And I remember going forward for the appeal, and my girlfriend happened to be sitting next to me at the time. But what was amazing is the Lord worked in such a powerful way that I knew I couldn't stay in this condition of just being content and entertained in the church, but I really needed to dedicate my life to His service. And so I went to Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism, and God worked in powerful ways, transforming my own life. And I realized the joy of service in the Lord. And that's why at GYC we have such a burden to have young people who love Jesus draw closer to Him and also to dedicate their lives to service Amen. for Him. Amen. So, so, wouldn't you say that this is why it's really important for our ASI family to consider very carefully that we want to sacrifice to give ministries like GYC funding to support the efforts that are being planned? You know, Debbie, it's more than just money. Because when you invest in GYC, you're really investing into the future of the Adventist Church. Amen. And if we believe in the young people, not only don't only give your money, but give your presence. They say the most meaningful relationships for millennials is intergenerational relationships. If you ask a young person, you say, who are the people that impacted your life? They're less likely to say, well, you know, um, my friend, but they're more likely to say my grandma, my grandpa, the pastor, the teacher, my coach. 
And that is why we need each other in this work, because we believe that Jesus is coming soon. Amen. And we want to hasten his coming. Moise and together. Taylor, God bless you and thank you for your commitment to GYC. Thank you so much. Next for our offering and action segment is a project that is dear to my heart because I'm a registered nurse. And this has to do with the Weimar, what I would call school of nursing, thinking back in my history of how we would term uh, this uh, institution. But this is actually something a little bit different. You actually call it WIN. And uh, with me is Neil Nedley. He's the president for Weimar. And uh, Lenora, Lenora Follett, who is the director of nursing, and Randy Bivens, who's the chief operating officer. Thank you for coming so that you can share with us a little bit more about this exciting project. So what is WIN? Weimar Institute of Nursing ah, is what okay. it stands for. Okay, excellent. And how did the idea of WIN get started at Weimar? Well, Weimar is a, of course, a sanitarium. It's a lifestyle center. We've been doing health and healing there for many years, and it's also an educational institution. And as we began to study the counsel from the Spirit of Prophecy, it was very clear that she wanted nurses trained at places where there were sanitariums. And she, in fact, she said our nurses are to go out as medical evangelists, teaching the word as well as physical healing. And so the gospel and medical missionary work were to be combined. And, you know, when we looked at Madison, they had a nursing program and uh, graduated a lot of nurses, and it seemed right that for what we were doing at Weimar, it was time with our pre-med program that we had in place and all of those sciences to then go into a uh, potential for a nursing program. Now, I understand, uh, Randy, that it was very evident that God was leading in this process um, when you went before, like, a board. Can you share a little bit of that experience? Yeah, the Board of Registered Nurses, there's a committee called the ELC, the Educational Licensing Committee, and we had to go before that board before the whole BRN, the Board of Registered Nurses, would actually meet, grant, and approve our program. And it was, it's kind of a disciplinary board in addition to a licensing board, and most of what they were doing was discipline. And there was a board, uh, actually a nursing program in Sacramento, who had lost their affiliation with a local hospital, and they were going to affiliate with a hospital about 60 miles away. And the chairman of this committee was just chewing them up. I mean, I'm thinking, and he was saying, you're going to have them drive, and it's going to, you know, increase their time on the road, and it's all those risks. And we're over there saying, wow, we have clinical sites all over the map. We have Loma Linda, which is like 350 miles away. He's going to chew us up and spit us out. We're toast. When he got to us, he said, what are you going to do about transporting these nurses? And Dr. Shirley Anderson, who was there with us and has, was very instrumental in getting this program, she said, well, Dr. Bivens is here, and he's our chief operating officer. <clears throat> Why don't you ask him if he's going to pay to have those nurses moved? And I said, well, um, okay, you know, we're, going to, we're going to transport them. And he said, great. Why didn't that other school say that? We went up afterward, and we spoke to him. Dr. Siebold and I talked to him, and he said, I know you Adventists. He goes, my uncle was a teacher <clears throat> at Oakwood College. God had gone before us. 
Amen. Amen. And uh, Lenora Follett, um, you've been an administrator, in, in, in high, a high-level administrator for many years in various institutions uh, overseeing nursing uh, programs. But you were, had such excitement when we were talking in the back about this particular program. Why is this especially significant for you? When I took nursing, it was at Loma Linda at a time when they were doing hydrotherapy and massage. And I remember Dr. Butterfield there at Loma Linda University Hospital ordered a lot of fomentations for his patients after surgery. And some of them really didn't want it at first, but when they had the fomentations, they said, that really helped. And then I always wished that I could work in a place where I could do that again as I moved around. And when I was in nursing schools, I kept wishing that we could incorporate those natural remedies into our nursing program. And now I'm at my dream job because that's just what they want us to do at Weimar. And the board has approved our classes in learning that. And we're just so, th I'm so thankful that I can work there. I'm very thankful. I told them it feels like I want to go back to school again, and they invited me to come back. But I said I, I think I'm done, so, so that's good. So we're coming full circle now back, um, Neil, to what you were saying, that we want to follow the counsel that has been given, that nurses should be trained as medical evangelists. You know, interestingly, when we were submitting our material, we were very overt that we were going to be training our nurses as evangelists as well as in health education. And I, uh, Dr. Anderson reminded me today of how when we presented these, these health classes, um, the nursing board liaison was looking and saying, so how does this fit in? It's, doesn't, it's not under OB, it's not under med surge. You know, she was trying to find out how it, this all fits in. And uh, finally, when they realized that our nurses were actually going to be putting on depression and anxiety recovery programs and CHIP programs as part of their training, she looked and she says, this isn't public health, this is total health. <laughs> and with the uh, evangelism component, she says, you know what, this is a different nursing program. She says, we pride ourselves in California as being alternative medicine state but we need an alternative medicine nursing program and you'll be the very first one. And it, Amen. And it turns out we're the, we're the first one in the entire country. So say that again. Did everyone hear that? The first alternative medicine nursing program in the entire country. Amen. And Amen. It's one that, uh, of course, um, they'll sit for the boards, but they'll also come out as health educators and they'll be also teaching the word in combination with physical healing. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you very much for sharing with us about the Weimar Institute of Nursing. Our last Offering in Action project is one that you will not find in your booklet. It is one that we have added because it is of special significance. With all that has been in the media and all the debate about creation versus evolution, we have felt that it's extremely important for us to undergird the efforts that are being made to strengthen the, the biblical creation story, particularly in our curriculum that we are providing to educate our children at every level. So this particular project, which we've termed the Creation Project, 
is one that is for, um, we're requesting $40,000 to provide the support to continue this work. With me is Ed Zinke. He's retired from biblical research and has his hands in a number of different areas. But we're happy to have him here and Larry Blackmer, who's the vice president for North American Division Education. So they're going to share with us a little bit about um, what two schools are doing in their, this particular line of work. Ed. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, indeed, creation is extremely important to us as a church not just creation, but biblical creation. In 1980, the church revised its statement of belief and revised its statement on creation. It seemed like the statement was clear enough uh, that creation took place in six actual days a short period of time ago. But uh, many individuals, some individuals have reinterpreted that statement to mean that God created over millions and millions of years and that each day represented millions of years. And so some felt that it was necessary to tighten that statement up. In uh, 2010, at the general conference session, there was a request for study to be made to that. That was brought back to the general conference session this last time, and the statement was clarified and it would be very difficult to read anything other than six actual days, uh, set when you include the Sabbath, seven days, more or less like our week. The other thing that some, some individuals had felt that worldwide flood, which was in our 1980 statement, uh, meant that the then known world, and so it didn't mean the whole world, it just mean, it meant that there was a big flood. And so that also was changed at the general conference session to mean, uh, to say, global flood rather than worldwide flood. Now, several institutions, uh, educational institutions uh, within the church are uh, taking very seriously the doctrine of creation, and they have done extensive study in geology and biology and other areas supporting uh, the biblical account of creation. Uh, one of those is um, Southern Adventist University, also Southwestern Adventist University. And then the Earth and Biological Sciences program at Loma Linda is the only place in the world that you can get a PhD uh, in geology or biology from a biblical perspective. Now we're supporting two of those programs uh, at this ASI convention and Larry will tell us about Southern Adventist University, and then I'll tell you about Southwestern. Why is creation important to the church? In 2014, the Gallup poll did a survey of the general population, and they found out that 42% said they were creationists and that 31% said they were theistic evolutionists, and only 19% said they were straight-out evolutionists. The difficulty is, what is a creationist? In defining what a creationist really is, because many people say they're creationists, but they believe in millions of years through that process. And so, it's been our goal in the church you know, through the educational system, through higher education, 
to make sure that we present a biblical foundation to creationism. Um, the, there was a survey done recently uh, by the Pew Group, and they found out that in the Adventist church, 47% believe that the Seventh-day Adventist church is anti-science. Are we anti-science? We're not. But we have somehow convinced our young people that the Adventist church does not believe in science. We believe in the church and in our institutions that there's real good science behind um, creation. And so we're trying to find ways to make sure that happens. The biblical account, uh, creation is all the way through the biblical account. It's in uh, the Old Testament, is mentioned by every single New Testament writer, and creation is actually talked about by Jesus himself. So it is an important issue. Creation is closely tied to, and I have here, 15 different um, doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in which creation is directly tied. Creation is fundamental to our church. Last year, I stood up on the platform and told you about our new, by design, uh, science curriculum, grades 1 through 8, developed distinctly by Seventh-day Adventists for Seventh-day Adventist schools based on a biblical account of creation. And uh, it's a North American Division initiative. It's both health and science combined. Um, we have also now, through Southern Adventist University and their Logos project, created a lot of other resources. These resources uh, can be used by design separately through the school system. They can be used by homeschooling families, by Christian families who kids are in, whose students are in public school, and by lay persons of all ages, and it's available online free. There are many other projects that we have in the pipeline. We're actually, uh, Dr. Tim Standish is the editor of our new ninth grade biology textbook. That we're now going to have the life science series totally developed by Seventh-day Adventists for our schools. We're creating a set of videos about uh, Adventist scientists Science is alive and well in the Adventist church, and we have world-renowned scientists that belong to our church. We're developing uh, dinosaur videos and interactives. Uh, we're designing a college-level origins class uh, with Faith and Science and Southern Adventist University, and we have an, a chemist professor at Andrews University who's working on materials about design in uh, chemistry. We're developing interactives and simulations that can go along with uh, by design. We're working through a number of our universities in a collaborative project. Um, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to create resources, multiple topics on origins, on worldview, and biblical foundations. We're working at the elementary, the secondary, and the college level, and we're developing partnerships. We have a, a delivery system called the Adventist Learning Community, uh, AdventistLearningCommunity.com, and all of these resources will, will be available at no cost to everyone. We want our resources used in the church. How can you help?
You can encourage conference administrators, local teachers, and pastors to become interested in origins. You should sponsor origin education events for administrators, teachers, and pastors. And you can sponsor events at our academies, our colleges, and at the local church level. And you can donate to organizations that promote creation from a scientific worldview, Faith and Science, the Origin Center at Southern, um, the program at Southwestern Adventist University, and Geoscience. On Sabbath, part of the offering will go to support additional resources that will be available to our young people. Amen. Got just a short period left here, but if we could bring up the, the slides of the Hanson Ranch, that's terrific. This is the project of uh, Southwestern Adventist University. Every summer they go to a dino dig. Thank you for advancing that. That's the Hanson Ranch there. Uh, Fifteen years ago, uh, Mr. Hanson wanted the, wanted the uh, bones that were on his ranch to be studied by geologists. There are a number of dinosaur, bo dinosaur bones there. And he contacted a scientist who came out and looked at it. And he told the scientist, I don't care what you teach about theistic evolution or any kind of evolution, but you have to teach creation. And uh, so this scientist stormed off in rage. He left some graffiti on the barn that said, science will never again be done on this ranch. Uh, Mr. Hansen contacted Art Chadwick, who's one of the foremost uh, geologists, and uh, Art Chadwick came to that ranch. We won't have time to go through the details, but he developed the latest methods for doing geology. When uh, the GSA, uh, the National uh, Profession of Geologists, when they had their meetings, they asked him to present the presentation on latest methods for geology and uh, uh, actually many years in a row. And so Art has the opportunity of working with students, and we're gonna have that picture, I hope, before our time runs out, uh, with students who uh, have the opportunity of digging there every summer and hearing his lectures on creationism and geology. It's a wonderful blessing to those students and to our church. Thank you very much. We really appreciate what you're doing to keep the creation story alive and accurate. Let's stand for the benediction. Our loving Father, we bow this evening so grateful to come into your presence, our Creator, our Redeemer, and also our Father. And we have been so blessed with the many ministries that have been presented this evening and recognize the importance that they are, that, that they have to the spreading of the gospel throughout the world. And so we pray for your blessing upon each of those ministries. Be close to them, guide them, uh, guide people to these ministries so that they uh, might have the opportunity of knowing about you. We pray also that you will be with each of us individually in order that we might uh, give our hearts to you this evening and dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.